Herb Alpert and the Tijuana Brass. I'm Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraphs Audio. My guest on this edition, this Monday edition of Fangraphs Audio, is the managing editor of Fangraphs, Dave Cameron. It has become, of course, uh, something of a custom to announce for the benefit of the listener uh, precisely what percentage of baseball Dave Cameron will be analyzing and what follows. In this case, uh, it is not so much the amount of baseball that Dave Cameron analyzes, uh, more important, perhaps more interesting for this particular episode uh, of Fangraphs Audio is from where, uh, from what place Dave Cameron is in fact analyzing that baseball. And that place in this case is Phoenix, Arizona. Phoenix, Arizona, of course, is not only currently location of one of the pools of the uh, World Baseball Classic currently going on in the world, but is also home, uh, or at least has been of late, to the Sabre Analytics Conference, where baseball nerds of uh, all stripes are giving presentations and then listening to those same presentations. And what follows, uh, Cameron talks about his experience at this year's Sabre Analytics Conference, of course, this being the second year of SAME, provides uh, some detail as to what has happened, but also the sort of thing that one, uh, where he or she to go in the future, might expect, uh, what, what that sort of person might expect from the Sabre Analytics Conference. Uh, Cameron also relates his experience of uh, the WBC game between Mexico and the United States, which he called one of the best games uh, he's ever attended, uh, so far as spectacles concerned, or atmosphere, uh, however you want to say that. Uh, this podcast also, uh, also features something like exclusive news uh, with regard to replacement level in an agreement about same that may or may not be forthcoming uh, between Fangraphs and Baseball Reference. It is uh, Fangraphs Audio in this case. It does feature managing editor Dave Cameron analyzing baseball from Phoenix, and it begins right now. That was, let's see, is that the day that the Sabre Analytics Conference began, or was it Friday, or what? No, it, it started Thursday. I actually missed the first few presentations, because uh, it started Thursday afternoon, and my flight was a little delayed. So I didn't get in until the last speaker of the day on Thursday. It was Joe Poznanski talking about various things. Well, we know Joe Poznanski. I mean, we know I know of Joe Poznanski. Correct. He's a celebrated baseball writer. He is a celebrated baseball writer. Yeah, and so what is what does a person like Joe Biznanski do? Uh, if you don't remember, that's fine. Uh, but what what would a person like Joe Biznanski do at the Sabre Analytics Conference? Make fun of the Royals, oh. basically. <laughs> uh, you know, he he told them stories. He talked about uh, you know as a writer who likes statistics but isn't a stat head, how he tries to marry the two together and use the numbers to tell stories and um, kind of you know work them into. Uh, his articles rather than making them the point of the articles and just kind of talked about, you know, the changing role of media. And, you know, he, he basically came at it from that of a, that perspective of a writer rather than an analyst. Right. And this actually sounds, I mean, it sounds similar to other um, voices I've, I've heard and specifically uh, Boog Shambi's or John Shambi, the ESPN broadcaster who uh, was at an event we hosted, I think maybe three years ago now. Um, uh, yeah, right. The, the, I think, and Chambi was at this event as well. But these are the same kinds of ideas of, you know, not overwhelming people with the numbers, but figuring out what the numbers mean and then telling that story to people who, you know, might be intimidated by math. Right. And I think that that's, um, this seems reasonable, right, is to say uh, it's to nail down the principles uh, as opposed to uh, perhaps the details which might 
uh, which might as a, as a broadcaster maybe separate you from the largest part of your, you know, uh, broadcast audience? Right. I mean, I think the goal is not, uh, you know, cause people to tune out when you're trying to, you know, educate them or, you know, kind of give them some insights from the, from the statistics. And so, you know, whatever we can do to not make ourselves quite so, uh, exclusive and niche and, you know, like I said, there are people who are interested in these ideas but are, are scared of the math. We shouldn't scare them away with numbers if we don't have to. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and there was, uh, speaking of broadcasters, I, I feel compelled to bring this up. Not necessarily that I want to, but um, there was a moment, and you wouldn't have heard it, um, but maybe you've heard some of the uh, reactions to it or witnessed some of the reactions to it via Twitter. Uh, there was a moment during, uh, let's see, yesterday's broadcast, this would have been Sunday's broadcast of the U.S.-Canada game, uh, when Jim Cat went on a brief uh, but spirited uh, a screed against uh, against sabermetrics and numbers as a as a whole, uh, so we we might say that he is uh, an announcer who invokes sabermetrics, but then also uh, uh, immediately rails against them. Yeah, was, uh, since I was at the game, I didn't hear any of it, but I did see on Twitter people, uh, you know, not not so happy with Jim Cott. I, th- I think it's interesting. So, like, it's an interesting context to try and bring up. Uh, you know, basically the context was, you know, Joe Torrey was bunting far more than he should have been, especially given that it was, a, you know, an all-star major league lineup against a minor league pitcher. Uh, and, you know, Cott was, like, using this as an example of how the game is really played and how we don't understand why bunting is actually good. But in the same time, the Americans were losing to a group of Canadian minor leaguers. <laughs> uh, you know, so you get Ryan Braun and Giancarlo Stanton and all these guys together, and you're having trouble beating Joey Votto and his band of merry men uh, you know, maybe you're doing some things incorrectly. And I think it's interesting how, you know, we see a lot of upsets in the WBC and we see a lot of bunting in the WBC and maybe these two things are related. You know, it's interesting. I, I was talking with, uh, I actually said Jackie Moore, uh, uh, also known as Jackie Peanuts. You know Jack Moore. He's a writer for, for Fangraphs um, and for the rest of the Internet. Um, ja- Jackie was saying, though, he was making the point that uh, from a strategic point of view, um, it does make sense as um, the quality of defense declines. I'm not saying this is necessarily the case uh, with the World Baseball Classic, but as the quality of defense declines, bunting more often does make sense. I think that is true to an extent, because uh, as the quality of pitching declines, bunting less also makes sense. So these are a little bit of offsetting factors, uh, you know, especially in early in the game. Jamison Tyon's a pretty good pitching prospect, but he also was on a 65-pitch limit, and the Team Canada's pitching staff uh, declined precipitously once he left. Uh, we saw, you know, Team USA made a big comeback against Canada's bullpen because they only had a couple of major league pitchers, and Tyon might not be a major league pitcher yet, but at least have major league stuff. Uh, I think giving a guy like Tyon out without having to make him work up his pitch count, you're essentially trading, uh, you're, you're giving an out that would eventually come against a very low-level minor league reliever um, in the middle innings. There's just no real reason to do that. When you have a large advantage of, you know, Ryan Braun and David Wright and, you know, Joe Maurer against guys who should either spend the season in, you know, independent leagues or Japan or maybe double-A if they're, if they're really good, uh, that's an advantage you want to take, a, take advantage of. So, you know, if you had, uh, you know, a guy with no arms and no legs playing third base, bunt all you want. But against this quality of pitching, uh, I don't think you want to be giving away outs, especially when you consider it the pitch count. I think we can all agree that um, putting a guy with no arms and no legs at third base uh, would be, well, I think it would be a poor managerial decision. I think it would also be unfair to that player because you're really just setting him up to fail. 
Yeah, I think uh, this might not be something Ernie Witt would uh, would <laughs> would do, but uh, given all the managerial strategies that were employed yesterday, <laughs> I wouldn't put it past him. Okay. Um, now, uh, I, I do want to get back, but this is all sort of intertwined. I want to get back to the Sabre Analytics proper in a second. But uh, just with regard to that game, I, I don't know if how many games you've been to. I, I know you were at that Canada-USA game. Uh, you, you may have gone to another one. Can you give me a sense of uh, your impressions on any level, I guess, what struck you what struck you the most about attending that game? Yeah, so we went to two of the three WBC games this weekend. I went to the Mexico-USA game on Friday night, which was actually uh, one of the better sporting atmospheres I've ever been at. Uh, it was 44,000 people announced attendance. The place was almost sold out. It was packed. And about 43,000 of those people were rooting for Mexico. So uh, it was essentially attending an event in a, in a foreign country. The, the U.S. was clearly the road team. Uh, you know, the Mexican fans came out dressed in, you know, uh, wrestling masks, and they had all their noisemakers. And uh, it was actually a, it was a lot of fun to see kind of, um, you know, what it would be like to attend a game uh, in Mexico. And, um, it, you know, I think the fact that Mexico won was actually good. I was uh, not, like, standing and cheering every time they got a hit, but I was rooting for Mexico to win the game because I thought it's good for the tournament if the underdog wins. And, um, you know, I think the, the fans uh, who came out to support Team Mexico uh, now have a positive memory. They're more likely to attend the WBC than if they got drugged 11-1. Um, so, you know, I think Friday night was a really enjoyable atmosphere. Uh, maybe not the best baseball game I've ever seen, but an enjoyable atmosphere. Um, and then I did attend uh, Canada and USA yesterday. I skipped the Italy on Saturday night. But, uh, you know, I think overall I really enjoyed the WBC. I mean, I think we've talked about some of the flaws of the tournament and, you know, ways that could be improved upon. But I think when you go to these games, uh, you know, they're certainly more exciting than anything else we're going to see down here the entire time, uh, you know. Whether the timing is perfect right. or not, it, 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 it's a large improvement over spring training. Um, right. In terms of, I guess, uh, like you say, like the uh, the spectacle of of the thing, uh, because obviously there's there are interesting things to see in minor league uh, 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 during spring training. Maybe it, maybe more so in the backfields than in, during the actual games. But in terms of a spectacle of event, you think that the, the WBC has promised at its best. Yeah, and I think, you know, to be honest, I'm not even sure in the backfield you'd see anything better than Jamison Tyon pitching to a bunch of Major League All-Stars. I mean, you know, if you want to see one of the best prospects in baseball, uh, you know, go up in a game, in an elimination game, uh, not really for his country, but for some distant relative country. No, uh, his par- well, you know. to be f- his parents' country. His parents, okay. are, his well. parents are born in Canada. All right, fine. I, there were some stretches on the rosters. <laughs> uh, but, you know, to see Tyon, you know, uh, throw curveballs to Joe Maurer and, you know, pump a fastball to Ryan Braun. I don't, I don't think you're going to see anything on the backfield that matches that. And I'll, I'll add, uh, I, of course, I was, I was not at the game, but I will say it's also uh, nice from a point of view of television because perhaps with the exception of, of the Futures game, um, you're not going to be able to see uh, prospects of Tyon's ilk uh, pitching with uh, nice cameras and with, uh, you know, um, uh, speed uh, speed readouts of uh, fastballs, etc. Um, so it's also it's also nice from a, from a home audience's point of view because you get uh, you know nice definition video of a person that maybe you've only been able to see on milb.tv or whatever before. Right, absolutely. And I, you know, I think we had pretty good seats behind the plate yesterday, so it was nice to be able to see you know the break on Tyon curveballs and kind of like uh, you know how he mixes in a slider. And I think you know I got a, a better view of Tyon yesterday than I. Certainly would have been able to on any kind of backfield. I think it was Matt Viscursion who was the um, the play-by-play man for that uh, Canada USA game, 
And and he made this comment, um, and I'm curious as to whether you'd heard this before or not. He said that the Pirates, uh, of course, who selected Tyon second in the 2010 draft, I believe it was, um, they, they they took him with the second overall pick, which is right after uh, right after Bryce Harper. Uh, they said, or at least Veskirchen said that they said, uh, they would have taken Tyon with the first overall pick. And I'm curious as to whether, A, you'd heard that, and, and B, if you believe that. You know, uh, I think teams are incentivized to say positive things about players in their own organizations. And, you know, uh, I think that whether that's true or not, it makes sense for the Pirates to say it publicly because they have Jameis and Tyon. So, uh, you know, we can speculate about the truth behind it. I, I'm going to guess probably not. But, you know, they really like Jameis and Tyon. And uh, I would imagine that, you know, they're happy to have him and they're not going to do anything to make him feel inferior to someone they don't already have. Right. Okay. Uh, okay. Back to the uh, Sabre Analytics Conference. Uh, can we just get a, a little bit of background on the conference? I, I think it's either in its second or third year. Can you give us a, an idea of um, what's going on in it and, um, I guess, how how it's changed, if it has changed? Yeah, it's second year. Uh, last year was the first annual uh, conference, and, uh, you know, we kind of um, partner with Sabre a little bit on helping put this together. And uh, so last year, um, I actually did uh, a research presentation, and I was on two different panels this year. Thankfully, they were able to find other more distinguished guests, so I had a smaller workload, which was a little nice, so I could be more of an attendee. I still was uh, participating in one panel, the Clubhouse Confidential panel with me, uh, Rob Nyer, Vince Gennaro, hosted by Brian Kenny, which uh, I'm biased, but was my favorite panel of the weekend. I thought that was a lot of fun. Um, but basically, it's just a, an attempt to get a lot of smart baseball people together in, uh, at one time, talk about some of the advances in analytics, give people a chance to do some interesting presentations. Um, you know, there's certainly a, an aspect of uh, job seeker, job hirer, uh, with, with a lot of team representatives here and a lot of young kids, especially with the case competition, uh, bringing in, you know, younger 18 to 25-year-olds who like to work in baseball. So there's a little bit of a networking aspect. Um, and, you know, you know, with it being WBC weekend this year, it was uh, kind of a great fit in the conference during the day, and then we could all go watch baseball at night. So, um, you know, it's basically just a big baseball nerd weekend. Right. Now, okay, this seems to be taking the place a little bit, um, um, it seems, uh, of the, at least for baseball, um, people with, whose main interest is baseball, of the, the Sloan Conference, which go, takes place in Boston. Can you talk about the differences between those two? Yeah, I mean, I, don't, I think, you know, they're, they're not uh, – Related, so I don't know if that Sloan would agree that Saber Analytics is taking its place, but I don't. I don't think there's any question that the Sloan Conference has always been basketball centric. I mean, it was started by General Morey, who's now under the a GM of the Rockets. Uh, most of the guests or the prominent guests have been primarily basketball people. So Mark Cuban comes every year, Bill Simmons comes most years, and you know he's mostly a basketball guy. Him and he talks about baseball, but he's a basketball guy. Um, you know, so I think the Sloan has always been a basketball conference with some other stuff on the side. And baseball has been a, you know, kind of a sideshow. And so it's nice for baseball to have its own weekend and to really, um, you know, it makes much more sense if you're going to travel somewhere in March to talk about baseball to go to Phoenix than it does to go to Boston. Um, so, you know, there's baseball here, there's people here. Um, you know, it just makes, it's a more uh, wide-ranging conference because you do have so many teams here in Arizona, so you can get a, a larger degree of people than you will get flying to the northeast. Um, so I think overall the, the analytics conference is definitely – uh, you know, it's 100% baseball. So this is the conference to come to if you're looking for a baseball analytics conference. Sloan, I mean, that hasn't gone the last two years, in part because of the proximity of, of time between the two. 
tough to go to both back-to-back and then stay out here for the Fangraphs staff weekend next weekend as well. Uh, but I think, you know, from what I've heard of people who have gone to the Sloan Conference, it's become much more of a networking, marketing, uh, meet-and-greet than any kind of intense analytical um, get-together anyway. And so, you know, if you're looking for something a little bit more in-depth, uh, you know, the Saber Conference might have some benefits over Sloan. Is that is that the natural progress for any sort of event like this? Um, if you know that there are going to be a lot of people there present from the industry, where it's going to gain that aspect, there's going—I mean, the money will follow it, I assume, or not necessarily in loads, but people who are interested in acquiring jobs will follow it. Uh, people who would obviously be uh, targets uh, for for the marketing, you know, baseball-related marketing, uh, they would also. Um, the people who are on the supply side of that, they would follow that. It seems like these sort of events will naturally draw uh, that kind of attention eventually. Yeah, there's no question. I think the bigger you get, the uh, you know, or the more popular a conference gets, the harder it is to kind of go into the in-depth analytical discussions, and you know, it just, everything kind of tends towards the mainstream. And so, you know, Sloan had 2,700 people come this year. Um, only a very small subsection of those 2,500 people wanted wanted to attend a research presentation that was, you know, dealing with the D-plane and, uh, you know, all these kind of intense math uh, issues. Um, So I think Sloan has kind of reconfigured itself towards more of the mainstream consumer of analytics where, you know, at this point, the Saber Analytics Conference is still smaller. I mean, there's definitely some consumer-oriented things, uh, but there's, you know, a place for a guy like Kevin Tannenbaum who worked with Dave Allen to give a presentation that was, um, you know, extremely math-heavy. Um, here's a question, and I think I'm stealing this from the uh, Slate uh, Sports Podcast, Hang Up and Listen. I, I, I also might not be. I might be stealing it from somewhere else, from the ether, as it were. Um, there, although I, I recently came across the suggestion um, that if there's a distinction uh, between the analytical communities in uh, baseball and in basketball, um, it's this, which is to say that while, uh, while a lot of um, baseball a- a- analysts – have been um, there are fans essentially um, who are very excited about it and um, will will produce uh, research projects on their own and share them with other uh, other interested fans. That what's happened in the basketball community is that uh, NBA teams have hired basically anyone who shows uh, any proclivity uh, uh, for producing basketball related research, and thus a lot of the research in that community has become proprietary. Does that uh, how do you uh, how do you respond to that claim and and uh, if you can maybe give some examples to to support or refute it? Yeah, so I think there's no question that in the NBA a lot of the most interesting analytical stuff is being done by team personnel because primarily that the um, the best data is being purchased by the team personnel and isn't publicly available. So I think in in one sense we're baseball is extremely lucky that we have this insane. Uh, rich data history that we can we can mine through. Basketball doesn't really have that as much. Uh, and then also that you know, Sport Vision, whether accidentally or not, released pitch effects into the wild, giving us access to a pretty advanced uh, data set that can be mined in some really interesting ways and is publicly available. Where in the NBA, the Sport View XYZ tracking system is is not publicly available, and the only way to get your hands on that kind of data is to work for a team. And um, you know, so I think. There's a, there's a huge disconnect in the amount of publicly available interesting data between the two sports, which um, drives a lot of the analytical differences. And then there's, you know, there wasn't a huge uh, Bill James of the NBA, 
you know, kind of creating a whole generation of people doing this kind of analysis in basketball. So when NBA teams got interested in analytics, they were able to pick off the few and the proud uh, and kind of put them behind walls where it made it harder for the NBA analytics community to take big steps forward. Okay, uh, yeah, so that was a, a, a little aside. Back to the Sabre Analytics Conference. I'm curious as to the differences uh, that you're seeing. You mentioned, for example, that you're on fewer panels uh, because they got more important people, uh, but perhaps that's one of the differences. Uh, any differences between this con- this year's version, the second uh, the second edition of it, uh, and last year's, and then what that might suggest about the direction in which the uh, the conference is going? Well, I, I mean, I don't know about the direction the conference is going. Cause I don't, you know, I'm not part of the uh, Sabre board that's, uh, you know, planning this thing, so I'm really, this is all total speculation, but it seemed to me this year that the conference got a little bit more commercial, and I'm not necessarily saying this is a bad thing, uh, but I do think that there were some presentations. I mean, you know, like Thursday night, uh, Bloomberg um, had a kind of a sponsored presentation where Bill Squadron, who's the president of Bloomberg, had a conversation with Jerry Depoto, um, and so this was part of the actual agenda of the, of the conference, but it was essentially an ad for Bloomberg Sports, which, you know, they're a presenting sponsor. They're certainly allowed to advertise their product, uh, but Bloomberg doesn't have a, a consumer product anymore. They only sell the teams, and so no one in the audience, I mean, besides, I guess, the team employees who've probably already seen something like this pitch while Bloomberg tries to sell them on their product, uh, was really able to, you know, you couldn't respond to the ad and go, uh, you know, it was, it was essentially just a marketing tool for Bloomberg. And there were a couple other presentations that were sponsored by um, certain companies. And, you know, you could kind of feel uh, that some of the some of the presentations had a, a little bit of a commercial aspect to them, which I thought was a little bit different. Um, not necessarily bad uh, or good. Uh, you know, sponsor money certainly helps put on events like this. But I did think there were a few events that you could note that, uh, they were they were there more to advertise a product than they were to um, be an open force discussion of analytics. Right now, uh, you did mention that there was a clubhouse uh, confidential panel, and I and you said this was your favorite. Of course, this is the one in, uh, in which you were involved. But I, I'm curious as to uh, what what particularly about it did you care for? Yeah, I mean, I think you know Brian Kenny is a really good moderator, um, and I think that you know he does a good job asking interesting questions. Uh, and for me, I think this was the one panel where uh, we were kind of able to take some liberties and have a little bit of fun. So you know, I think a lot of the other panels, you had player personnel, um, you know, you had a GM panel with Rick Hahn and Jed Hoyer um, and, and John Daniels. You know, their goal was to say as little as possible while <laughs> not saying absolutely nothing, but to say almost nothing. Uh, and, you know, the, the player development panel with uh, Tyron Brooks and I think Derek Salvi of the Indians and uh, Ishaya Goldenfarb of the, of the Giants, you know, they were uh, reserved as well. I mean, as you'd expect team employees to be in a room that's full of people who are going to immediately say whatever they say on Twitter. Um, so I think, you know, we, you know, Bill James, even with his uh, talk, was had to be a little bit reserved because he works for the Red Sox. When you have team personnel, they're going to just, you know, hold back on any kind of question that might elicit uh, an interesting response. With Rob and Vince and myself, you know, we don't necessarily have those allegiances. We don't have bosses to answer to if we say something that's going to end up on Twitter. So, you know, I made some comments when discussing designated hitter about, um, you know, Rob said that National League owners don't like the DH, and and I responded that all those people are going to die eventually. (laughs) You know, if uh, John Daniels had made that same comment, I think that Bud Feeling would probably have called him and, uh, there would have been some repercussions for him speaking about the per- 
you know, eventual death of National League owners. Yeah. For me, uh, you know, the dark overlord Appleman, uh, you know, didn't care at all. No, no, he, yeah. Uh, and it is true. I mean, uh, we're all mortal. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah right. But, I'm not thinking of like the, the, uh, fact that I'm going to kill these people. I'm just no, noting right. that they will not live forever. And not even that you hope they would die. I don't, I don't think you said right. that, did yeah. you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's good. I mean, maybe I wasn't you're... wishing wishing death on NL yeah. owners. I was just speaking to their immort- you know, their mortality and the fact that uh, eventually they will be replaced with people who might think differently. Right, but generally you're right. Uh, in a professional setting, typically speaking, invoking the mortality of anyone is uh, is frowned yeah. upon. If no, if for no other reason, it, it's kind of a bummer. Yeah, yeah. But hey, you know, the nice thing was this uh, that comment might have elicited more laughs than anything else I said the whole time. So apparently, not such a big bummer. People like yeah. death conversation. Uh, yeah, that's true. Well, yeah, I think uh, pointing out our frailties can also uh, uh, have its comic effect as well. Now, listen, uh, I saw uh, – speaking of Rod Meyer, who, uh, whom you mentioned was on that panel with you, uh, I saw a post or a tweet or something uh, courtesy Nyer uh, with regard to what I think is big, biggish news, big news, big nerd news, uh, which is to say that it appears as though perhaps Fangraphs and Baseball Reference, uh, of course uh, – Two, uh, two sites doing good work um, have come to some sort of agreement regarding the concept of replacement level. Yeah, I mean, this isn't something we're publicly announcing yet, so we, you're, uh, you know, discussing something that is not yet, uh, you know, publicly announced. But, uh, you know, I can confirm that the uh, uh, head of Baseball Reference, John Foreman, had lunch with myself and David Appleman, uh, and we have had some conversations about, uh, you know, whether it makes sense for us to, uh, agree on aspects of war, and I think replacement was one one area where it, it would make sense for us to agree and have a similar baseline. And uh, you know, there's probably an announcement coming sooner than later in this regard. Okay, so this is uh, so this is not officially a, a thing that's been verified, but you can say that there's been some discussion uh, with regard to the idea of replacement level uh, perhaps becoming uniform uh, between Baseball Reference and Fangraphs. Yeah, I mean, I think that the, uh, you know, our goal is to make um, data as available as possible. And, you know, when people look at the different war scales and see different baselines, it probably does more harm than it does good. And so we're not in the business of harming the statistics that we use. Uh, and if there's a common ground for us to, um, you know, align our war on a similar baseline as, as theirs and even, you know, potentially baseball perspectives, um, you know, I think that's a that's an idea that makes sense and, um, I, I am hopeful that, that this will be a, a step forward that we can announce in the not too distant future. Okay. Uh, let, let me ask you, uh, all right, so that we, we've covered that. Uh, with regard to what's to follow, we're talking right now uh, Monday. I assume it's getting uh, probably getting close to noon uh, where you are, noonish. Uh, what's to follow? I know that our Fangraphs weekend uh, is coming up towards the end of the week, and some of us will be uh, getting there between uh, now and then. Uh, what what besides that uh, do you, do you have on your plate and in, in is going on either with the conference or uh, baseball uh, being watched uh, etc. Yeah, the conference is over. So uh, today, Apple and I are just finishing up a couple meetings and uh, doing you know some logistical things. Uh, tomorrow, we're actually taking a little bit of a break. Uh, last year, we did this 11-day trip to Arizona, and it was just you know, a little too much. And then we looked at each other at the end and said, let's never do that again, and here we are doing it again. But this year we decided to work in a little bit of a 
a detour. So uh, Eno Saris was flying in uh, this afternoon, and his his mother lives in Sedona, Arizona, so about two hours north of Phoenix, towards the Grand Canyon where all the big red rocks are. And uh, so the three of us are going to go hiking with his mother uh, and kind of have a day oh, enjoying go. the weather, enjoying enjoying the sunshine, enjoying uh, nature, and uh, ignoring baseball, at least, you know, I, as much as any of us can ignore baseball. Uh, and then Wednesday we will return and all of you guys will flood our lives and we will be overwhelmed with fangrass people uh, until Sunday. Yeah, that's going to happen. Yeah, or in, uh, I, I can tell you that I will be there till Monday. Uh, don't know where I'm sleeping Sunday night, but we'll figure that out. Right. Uh, yeah, uh, but that will be uh, that will be fun too. Yeah. Uh, um, well, that sounds great. Uh, I, I think, if I'm not mistaken, have we uh, have we missed anything? Have we seriously missed anything? Uh, I don't, I don't believe so. Yeah. Are you ever going to get a chance to see, uh, uh, Kenta Maeda pitch, Maeda, from Japan? I have not had a chance to see him. Oh, pitch. yeah. He struck out half, about half the people he's faced in two starts. Of course, really? a bunch of them were Chinese, but, uh, he struck out nine of 16 Dutch batters that he faced in his, in his start there. That's pretty good. Well, how many of those were actually Dutch? Well, they're part of the kingdom. Uh, as it were, right? Uh, yeah. It well, was, uh, or you know, tangential has met someone from the kingdom, so therefore they're on. The no, team. no, no. This, this is, this is all. Uh, I, well, actually, I don't know all their histories. I know Xander Bogarts is one of them. Uh, he struck out, and Xander Bogarts is from uh, what, Curacao, perhaps. Is that yeah, sound right? Yeah, Curacao. Yeah. Curacao. Yeah. Yep. Um, I don't know where Kalian Sams is from. Although he's in the. Uh, I think he's in the Mariners. Collian Sam. Collian Sam. Yeah, he he he, uh, he might have been released. He is, was in the organization. I don't know if he's still around. But uh, yeah, he, I think he's from Curacao as well, or maybe actually from the Netherlands. I'm not sure. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, then uh, this is, this has been a super informative part of this episode. Yeah. Of right. Audio. This is the part where I say I don't know anything about what we're talking about. Yeah, that's good. Uh, that's very good. Um. Uh. Okay. Well, yeah, uh, that's good. I think you fulfilled your obligation then. Uh, um, so thank you, uh, thank you, Dave Cameron, managing editor of Fangraphs. Sounds good. I will see you in a couple of days. Yeah, you will. Yeah, you will. That is Dave Cameron. I'm Carson Sestouli. This has been Fangraphs Audio.